in Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought, up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. Now Moses used a tent. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought out the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, your words are so truth, so true. I ask that everyone in this building listen to you today through Chris and that those words can magnify so deep in the hearts of us that we go out and take what we hear from you today outside these doors to your people. Lord, it's amazing how you can just present yourself in a mighty way anywhere you want. So your presence is welcomed here. As we sit and we listen to your words, may we continue to worship and honor you and glorify you because you've given us everything. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rudy, for uh, reading. As you know, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and I just love the story. I love watching the people of God, interacting with God. And, and last week we had the golden calf episode uh, that happened. And this week, as Rudy was reading to us, um, God has told them it's time to go. And he said, it's time to go. It's time to leave Mount Sinai and go to a land that I promise you. But they said it was a disastrous word because God said, I'm not going to go in your midst. I'm going to lead you, but I'm not going to go in your midst. It made me think, how often do we live our lives that way? 
How often do you start your day without bringing the Lord along, without asking the Lord to be in our midst that day? Right? And so they, they're getting ready, and remember they used the earrings to make the golden calf, and so no more ornaments, no more of that, right? And they're getting ready to head out. And, and a couple of things were interesting as they talked about this tent of meeting, because remember the tabernacle is fixing to get built. Hasn't been built yet, and where's the tabernacle supposed to go? Right in the center of the camp, right? And they're supposed to camp around it on all these different sizes according to the word of God. But right now it's a tent out here outside the camp where God would meet with man. And Moses would go. But a couple of interesting things happened in the story. Number one, as Moses went into the tent, what happened to the people? They would stand out by their tent opening, right? And when the pillar of cloud would come down, they began to worship, right? They had worshiped a golden calf before. Now they see God coming down and they begin to worship him. Does the Lord's presence bring about worship in your life? Do you invite that presence in? Do we respond to that presence? The second thing I thought was so interesting in the story is that in that tent, Joshua stayed. Right? Joshua's now going side by side with Moses. Everywhere that he goes, Joshua's there. When Moses would leave, Joshua would stay. This is discipleship. And honestly, these are the two pillars, really, of the church, worshiping God and discipleship, right? Worshiping the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. That's discipleship. Inviting people along in your journey and taking them along and teaching them what the Lord's been teaching you. This is what the church should be like. And so it's getting set up and it's getting ready for God to encounter and to do incredible things in their presence. And so we pick up, you know, there's a next part of us talking about the glory of the Lord, which we'll talk about in two weeks. We'll talk about what it means for Moses to meet face to face with God. And we'll discuss all that in a couple weeks when we talk about the glory of God. But we're starting in Exodus chapter 34. Just keep going through the book. Okay, here's what it says in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. So now remember what happened to the other tablets, right? Remember last week? Rage monster, right, came down, broke the tablets, all this stuff. So now Moses is supposed to cut out two tablets of stone for it. If you go back a page into Exodus 32, you see the work of God at the beginning. You now see Moses having to make them. Look what it says back in Exodus 32, verse 15. We read this last week. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back. They were written. And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So last week, God cut out the stone. God wrote on it and sent it down with Moses. Now Moses is having to cut his own stone and having to haul it up to go meet with God. Moses now is becoming this mediator of this covenant. God speaking to the people through Moses. But a couple of things jumped out to me from this Exodus 32. Number one, it was the work of God. But also, did you notice it was written on the front and the back? It's written on both sides. So remember, as you're going through, like when I'm reading this, I'm like, front and back? Like, why was it written on the front and the back? Like you, you should automatically go, that's weird. 
Because I watched Charlton Heston, let my people go, right? And it just had like one through five, six through ten, two big old tablets, right? That, that's what it looked like, right? That's what it was. Why is it written front and back? And so it made me start diving in, getting nerding out a little bit. If you look at archaeology, for example, back in 1269 B.C., there was this a treaty between Egypt and the Hittites, right? The Hittites were up in kind of the Turkey area, and Egypt, they made, they made a treaty, and in this treaty, they decided, you know, to have peace in their land. And what they did was they carved it, this treaty, on stone, but they carved two copies, two identical copies written front and back. And archaeology has found one of them in Turkey and one of them in Egypt, and they've compared them, and they're identical. And I wonder, God's covenant with man, did he make two copies? Did he make one for man and one that would go in the Ark of the Covenant? For him to, to show that this is a covenant between God Almighty under the mercy seat where the presence of God was going to be and another copy for man so they could see this is the covenant that I have given to you. It was a very common practice during uh, this time for these treaties to have two copies of a contract. For example, if you buy a house, everybody gets a copy of the contract. And they also have a copy of the contract, right? So interesting thing about the Ten Commandments. I wonder if there are two separate copies of them written front and back as you go through chasing my rabbit in my own brain with that one, right? But we know that Moses had to cut it out for himself this time. And then it says this, I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. I love that. God's just like, hey, you got to haul this up here. You remember why? Remember the rage monster, right? Now you got to haul him yourself, right? Which you broke, right? I just love the personal nature of God with Moses here. Be ready in the morning and come up on the mountain to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up to you and no one shall be seen through all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So we have this mountain 2.0 now happened. Now last time that Moses went up the mountain, Joshua was close by and Aaron was in charge of the camp, right? That went bad. So now... Moses is going up by himself, and he's leaving Joshua behind to watch over the people. Joshua is becoming the leader of the Israelites underneath of Moses and would eventually be the one that takes them into the promised land, right? Tells you something about Joshua's character, that he's leaving him behind. He didn't trust Aaron anymore. Now Joshua's left behind to be that one. All right, so then it says, so Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose up early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, And the Lord commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Woo, it's going to get good, right? Because what's happened so far, they tried to make God into this little calf, right? A little calm, sweet, cuddly God when God is a God of power. And so what God is going to do with Moses, he's going to proclaim his name to Moses. He's going to tell him exactly who I am. It seems like you guys forgot. Let me tell you exactly who I am. And how many times do we forget who God is? And we need a reminder of God to proclaim to us who he is. He's going to tell us nine things about himself in this passage that are just amazing, that, that show us how great our God really is. Great are you, Lord. We just sang it He's going to proclaim it to us right here. So the Lord passed before him, his majesty, his glory, and he proclaimed to him, the Lord, the Lord, all caps, which means Yahweh. I am that I am, this Yahweh, Lord, 
Is Jesus Lord? Absolutely. Is he Lord of your life? What's more, it's different, right? Being Lord of our life is different than putting our faith in him. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We're saved through the faith that we have. And then, then we follow the Lord in baptism today. We have baptisms today. We're going to get a chance to celebrate, which is awesome, right after the service. But then we have to surrender. Do you make Jesus Lord of your life? Or do we just, hey, Jesus, you want to come with me today? Hop in my backpack. Cute little Jesus walking around? Or is he truly like, Lord, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. Lord, where are you going? I want to go with you. Lord, what are you doing? I want to be a part of that. That's a radical prayer. It's totally different inviting Jesus to come along as you live life or saying, God, where are you going? Let me go with you. Because he might take you places you've never thought you would be. And that's good. He is Lord Lord, he says it twice, emphasizing, kind of like Jesus in the New Testament. Truly, truly, I say to you, better listen up. He's like, Lord, Lord, he's the Lord of our lives. Let's make him the Lord day by day. And then he says this, a God merciful and gracious. Isn't that so good? He is merciful. He's compassionate to us. Someone who is compassionate, they think of others. They, they notice them, right? They, they are compelled to act in their way. They're merciful and gracious. That's our God. Isn't that good news to us? Yeah, because I don't know about you, but I fall short. It's good to know that he is merciful and he is gracious, right? Then it says he is slow to anger, right? In the King James, it would say long-suffering, really great word, long-suffering, or he is patient with us. Man, isn't that good news? He is patient with us. We miss the mark all the time, and he's patient. You might be thinking, wait a second, he wasn't so patient last week with them and the golden calf. Yeah, but they made it to the golden calf, and they're still alive because they have rebelled constantly. You remember when Moses first came to them and he's going before Pharaoh, let my people go, and they took away, they had to get the hay themselves, and they started hating on Yahweh. Like, they didn't even know. Then the ten plagues come. Then they start grumbling about food. Then they grumble about water. Oh, no, we're going to die. Red Sea opens up, right? Constantly, they've been doubting God through this whole process, yet he is patient with them, slow to anger. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Oh, I wish that I was slow to anger. Oh, I wish that we, as a people of God, were merciful and graceful, slow to anger. And then what's it say next? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Doesn't it sound like just a lot? It just sounds like overflowing. Like, for example, if the sprinkler system in this room went off right now, you would be abounding in water. It would be everywhere, right? And I know you guys are like, the word is so good, I'm not leaving. Or not, right? Because you're abounding in water. It's everywhere. Can you imagine God's love being that way? Have you ever felt the love of God just overwhelm you? You know, one of the reasons we sometimes miss that, we're so busy. We're dodging raindrops. Instead of letting the abounding, steadfast love of God overflow us. His abounding love. You know, I wish that my wife had steadfast love from her husband. I'm going to be honest, right? Because isn't steadfast love a really good thing? But man, I fall short of that one. It's like my mood. I'm like, woo, 
love you, love you. Oh, oh, right, all up and down emotionally. But God's love is steadfast. You know why it's steadfast? Because it's unconditional. It's not dependent on you and how far you fall short. It's dependent on him and what he has already done for us. That's the gospel message. Christ has died for you. Why are you punishing yourself? Why don't you accept that abounding, steadfast love of God? Some of us are lonely. He loves you. Some of us feel forgotten. He loves us. And abounding in faithfulness. Woo! That's so good, isn't it? He is faithful. He's going to follow through on his promises. He is faithful. If we can line ourselves up with the will of God and walk in his ways, he is faithful. That's good news for us because it's going to be a day where we're hoping for heaven. We're trusting in heaven. We put our faith in him for eternal life. He is faithful. It's good news. Isn't this a good God? He's declaring, is it better than a little calf made of gold? This is a good God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he loves you unconditionally. But it gets even better. He keeps going. He keeps describing himself, keeping steadfast love for thousands. He's a promise keeper. Do you remember, remember the movement, promise keepers, back in the day, right? It was a movement of men, right? It's supposed to be encouraging us men to be promise keepers. Men, let's step up. Let's be promise keepers. See, in God, his yes is yes and his no is no. In us, let's be people that are honest, that have integrity, that walk in his ways, that keep our promises to one another. He keeps his promises. Then he says this, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He is forgiving. Man, that is such good news because I mess up a lot, right? And, and I would love this, this description he gives here, right? It's iniquity, transgression, and sin. If you remember um, those things, that's three different kind of words for sin, right? Sin is missing the mark. We all miss the mark. We all mess up, right? We all make mistakes. We don't really mean to. Sometimes we make mistakes, but there's also transgression, which is the idea of we know the line that we're not supposed to cross, and we're like, hmm, anybody else around? Right? That's transgression. We know we shouldn't do this. We know we shouldn't spread that rumor. But it's so good. It's a, it's a juicy one. It's just a good one, right? Step across it, right? Oh, I know that I, know that I, I shouldn't take that money, but, man, the bills are a little short. I'll repay it afterwards. And we step across this line. But even worse than that is this word iniquity. This is the idea that we premeditatedly plan to sin. We think about it. We're like, well, I've got this good rumor, and you know who likes to hear good rumors, right? We're like, hey. And we go over and, hey, what you doing? Oh, nothing. We know. We start planning it. Or pornography has taken a grip of our younger generation. You need to pray for our younger generation. You need to pray for all of us because pornography has such a grip on people. And when we plan to watch it. When you plan, you're like, oh, well, nobody's going to be home this time. I can plan to do it. When you begin to let the sin seep into your planning and your mind, it's consuming you. Christ has set us free from those things. We don't want to have iniquity where our mind is constantly planning on our sin. Instead, we miss the mark sometimes. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Let's not let iniquity be a part of our life. But God is so good 
that even when you plan to mess up, he forgives you. The cross is that powerful. Do you believe that? So that, that means there's no guilt, no shame, none of that stuff should come into your life, right? Because you believe it. But we still do. But the, it's from the enemy. What should come in is a, a godly sorrow that says, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be like you. That's what it means for God to be forgiving. It spurs us on to be more like him. And then the last one he says, but who will no, by no means clear the guilty Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to a third and fourth generation. This is not talking about curse. This is talking about generational sin that we pass down to our kids and it goes on. we got to break that cycle in half. But it also means that God is just. And if you remember last week, the rest of the story of the golden calf, we talk about more than just the Sunday school version of it. What happened? Moses stood there and said, who is for the Lord? Come on this side. If you don't want to come over here, what happened to them? They died. 3,000 of them died because they were not willing to come to the Lord's side. And the Levites took and they slaughtered them, 3,000 of them. Because the letter of the law, rebellion against God brings death. That's just the reality of it. Hell is a just place for those who reject God because he's made himself plain to us. So choose to be in the presence of God. Choose to let Jesus be Lord of our life. Put our faith completely in him. That's the call. That was the even here because he is just. Remember, when the Holy Spirit come, how many were added to their number? 3,000 because the Spirit brings life. The law brings death. Let's choose life. Daily, choose life. And when we look at Moses' response, it should be our response. As well as said, Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. That our response to knowing God should be worship. When we hear these things, what an amazing God. Why would I not want to be in his presence? He's abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He's just. He's forgiving. Why would I not want to enter into his presence daily and worship him? So I want to give you a challenge this week. This week, I'm going to challenge everybody in the room, myself included. What if we spend an hour worshiping the Lord this week? Now listen, an uninterrupted, non-distracted hour worshiping the Lord. You might not be able to use your phone for this because notifications come up. You might have to sing. I tried it this week, right? I got in a hammock this week. I put on a playlist. It got short because my hammock ripped in half and I hit the ground, okay? So just confession. That might be some other issues in my life that I need to work on, okay? But got short, but I, did, I kept worshiping, right? So then I ended up, I'm dancing around the house. I'm glad you guys weren't there. To, I'm glad there's no cameras in my house because I was just jamming out worshiping the Lord. It was so good. I'm telling you, spend an hour, interrupted time with the Lord. He'll speak to you. He'll bring joy. You'll have peace in your life when situations seem crazy. I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't have an hour. Really? You don't have an hour to give to the God I just described to you? I mean, we have an hour to do the things we really want to do. Do we really want to worship the Lord? If you want to have an encounter with Jesus, block out the world, spend time with him, uninterrupted time with him. Plan your playlist, plan it out, and you're going to experience God in a powerful way because he is faithful. He loves you. He wants to be known by you. Are we willing to be like Moses and fall down on our face and worship him?
be undistracted in our worship. I think it's crazy and beautiful. And Moses, in this moment of worship, cries out and responds to God and what he has proclaimed about himself. So here's Moses' response to God here in verse 9. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And here's what Moses is crying out. There's four things he's crying out. Number one, he wants to seek the presence of the Lord. Remember, what Rudy read was, I'm not going to be in your midst because I could consume you. But here Moses is like, Lord, we don't want to go unless you're in our midst. Like, we don't want to leave without you. So, Lord, please come be in our midst. Please be with us. And then secondly, he says, um, for it is a stiff-necked people. He takes ownership of their sin. He doesn't ignore what just happened with the golden calf. He doesn't ignore that. He takes ownership of it and he confesses it. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. They planned it out. Lord, still, just pardon us. And then take us for your inheritance. Lord, never leave us. Let us be a part of things. Inheritance only happens after death, right? That's eternal life. This is pointing to this eternal life we get to have with Christ. Like, God, take us as your inheritance. We want to be with you forever. You realize that, right? There's a better reward for us than this earth. There's things better than happiness. There's things better than that awaiting us in heaven. These temporary afflictions are nothing compared to what God has in store for us someday. And then God responds to Moses. Moses is like, I want to seek your presence, Lord. Go with us. We don't want to go without you. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Make us an inheritance. And God's response is in verse 10. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all you, your people. I will do marvels, or do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among who you shall see it, the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So he confirms the covenant with them. And he says, I will do marvelous things. I'll do amazing things in your presence. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God does amazing things for you? I hope so. I have seen incredible things that God has done. I've seen people healed. I've seen demons being cast out of people. I've seen marriages on the brink of destruction coming back better than ever. I've seen forgiveness in incredible ways because God is faithful. And if you're not seeing that God is amazing, it's one of two things. Number one, maybe you're not looking. Maybe you're taking a little bit too much credit for your life. Like, for example, just the other day, um, I think it was like maybe Tuesday or something, um, my son's car had been breaking down or hadn't been working. We're like, okay, he has a little Honda Accord. It's a 2005, like 230,000 miles on it. We're like, okay, I guess we're going to get a new car. You've been driving it for seven years. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll, get it, we'll, we'll look at a new car. Half an hour later, Linda Freeman, if you don't know Linda Freeman, you should. She's amazing, sweet little lady, right? She's like, I, I'm really stressing out. I want to sell my car, and I don't know how to do that. Do you know anybody who might want a car? It's a Honda Accord, and da-da-da-da. I'm like, yeah, I know someone who might like that. And then, so then we text Tara. I'm like, Tara, this is crazy. Like, no, you know what's crazy? Someone else had just wrecked their car. One of the, the youth is now a college kid, wrecked their car, and she, they had just texted Tara. Do you know anybody who wants to sell, like, a, an old car, just kind of like a beat-up car to make it for a little while? She really likes smaller cars, stuff like that. I know someone. So in the same day, we bought a car, sold a car, and you might be thinking, that was just luck. 
oh, it was karma. You've been living good. It's karma. Or it's God. It could be God just showing off, right? God just shows off sometimes. It's like, hey, you think this is cool? Check this out, right? Because God just does that. He does marvel. He tells them right here, I'm going to do marvelous things that people haven't even seen. It's, it's crazy. We've got to be looking for it. So either we're not looking for it or we're not putting ourselves at risk enough. We're not stepping out enough. Because, guys, you can't pray for daily bread if you have a storehouse of bread. You, you can't see God answer incredible prayers if you don't pray incredible prayers. If we don't ask for incredible things. How are we ever going to see God work and give him the credit for those things? We need to be more bold. We need to be more excited about the gospel when we leave this place. Whew, I'm getting excited. All right, let's keep going. All right, so then. After this, right, after God's answer to them, he just reminds them of all these things he's been telling them. through They're like, don't forget. These, I'm going to do marvelous things, but don't forget a couple of things. Right? Number, number one, which is verse 11, it says, Observe what I have commanded you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So he's like, don't forget the things I've told you to do. Verse 12 is reminding them, there's no other gods before me, right? He's going to remind them that in verse 12. Take care lest you make a covenant with inhabitants of the land to which you go. Lest it become a snare in your midst, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and tear down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat with, the, with his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons, and of their daughters, when they whore after their gods, make your sons whore after their gods. Do you think God is serious about this one? Do you think God is serious about this relationship and the way he's describing this relationship? Like, you are mine, why are you chasing after things that aren't us? Why are you chasing after this ashram or, or Asher or Ishtar is one of the names that they're known by, right? And it was this goddess. So you've heard of Baal in the Old Testament. Baal's goddess wife was ashram, and people would worship. Why? Because she was the god of sexuality, of being happy, of this fertility. And guess what? They chased after it with the golden calf. They've chased after it, and throughout history, we've chased after this dream of happiness, and, the, and they fall into it again. Judges 3, 7 says that they have done what is evil in the Lord's sight. They traded in the Lord basically for Baal and Asherah. They've traded in the God Almighty, the God we just described, they traded in for a piece of wood looking like a totem pole. Whew, that's a bad trade. Let's chase after the one that loves us more than we could ever possibly love him instead of chasing after a tree, okay? Then it says this in verse 17. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. Duh. Golden calf story, right? Hey, don't forget. Don't forget. All right, then verse 16. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. In other words, don't forget the holy convocations. Don't forget the feast, Passover, all these things that I have put in place. Why does he chose, choose the unleavened bread? We chose it because that, if you look at Exodus chapter 12, if you go back, this was the idea of the feast reminding them of when God rescued them from Egypt. They didn't have time to put leaven in their bread. They just had to leave, right? And so this feast was meant to remind them 
of those things. So don't forget about all of these holy convocations from the Lord. Right? Go down to verse 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in the harvest time you shall rest. We need to rest in the Lord. Notice that he points out even in the busy times, even in the harvest, even when you're supposed to be planting, you need to find a time to rest and be with the Lord. And then he talks about the, the Feast of Weeks. We're running out of time, so let's jump forward just a little bit to verse 27. Because he talks more about the Passover and the first fruits and all these awesome things. But then in verse 27 he says this. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. Another 40 days on the mountain, mountain 2.0 for Moses. Okay? And after that time, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Can you imagine? Are you picturing it? Moses coming down like, oh, right? Just face like lit up, right? Like, like, a, like the sun or like a bright light, like those headlights on the new cars that come down the road. Right? That's Moses' face just shining right at him, right? But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and, they com and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what had been commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses. The skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So we have this picture of Moses with a shiny face. Now let's fast forward. Let's, let's close up with these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because Paul addresses this situation and, and I think brings to light a few things for us as well. And this, we're going to start in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 3. And remember the shining face of Moses, kind of this, this covenant that God's making. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that we are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. In other words, if someone needs to know a testimony about what is fellowship church like? You know what I'm going to say? Look at the people. Don't look at my life. Look at you guys. You guys are fellowship church. You are the ones out in the community representing Christ in that way. And that's what Paul's telling me. Like, Do I need a recommendation? Like, you're literally my recommendation. Your life is the way that people should see my teaching. And then in verse 4 it says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen? Right? The Spirit 
brings life. The law brings death. Choose life, right? Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness shall far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what has once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are to be, what's that say? Very bold. Are you bold about your relationship with Christ? Now I know, you're going to walk out here and you're not going to walk out with a shiny face. You're the light of the world, but you're not going to have a shiny face. So are you going to be bold about this God who's just and abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness? Are we going to be bold? Not like Moses. Oh. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of that which was being brought to an end. In other words, when you leave this place and you put on the mask and pretend like you don't love Jesus, you're hiding the glory of the Lord. You're hiding the light. Put it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine, right? Kid song, powerful message. Let's not go out there and put on a mask and hide it. Let's let the fire that burns bright make us be a light to the world, right? Look what happens. If you put on a, a fake mask, it's almost like putting it over your heart. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? You can go out there and be bold and be free. I'm going to go out there and talk about Jesus. Someone's going to go, yeah, but you're not very nice. Like, I know. God still forgives me. Isn't that crazy? You're like, oh, you're not this. I know. Isn't that crazy? God still loves me. Even our shortcomings are a testimony to the Lord. If we're bold, if we're willing to be humble, if we're willing to do those things, are we willing to go do that? Because if we are, we'll change the whole community we changed. This whole community will change for the Lord if we're willing to live in the freedom of the Lord. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're all being transformed to be like Christ. Now listen, some of y'all are ahead of us. Don't judge those of us that are a little bit behind and becoming more like Jesus, right? But all of us with unfilled faces are living in the freedom of the Lord. Let's do it. Let's be bold about this God who just proclaimed himself to us, right? Lord, I pray that you'll help us to leave this place and be bold to speak about you. Lord, I know that even baptism is a bold proclamation, Lord, about a relationship between you and this person. Lord, so we look forward to celebrating baptism. Lord, we look forward to going to the mission field, which is our workplace, which is where we eat lunch this afternoon, which it might even be our own home. Lord, help us to be people that make disciples. Help us people that share the gospel with the world. Lord, help us be bold. Help us not cover our faces under a veil, but to be bold.
And we pray this in the bold and incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to imagine something with me. The entire property here is decked out all around with the story of Jesus. And thousands of people are walking through and seeing these amazing scenes and hearing about Jesus and hearing the clear, simple gospel and having the opportunity for them to place their faith in Jesus. We call it Night in Bethlehem, and you get to be a part of making that happen. And you can sign up in the tables with Rudy right outside. I think today is the final day to sign up for that, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, get on that. Also, imagine that our entire church family, all three services together, enjoying a nice meal and fellowship and hearing of what God is doing in our church and praying together of what God will do in the future. That's November the 6th. That's our annual banquet. You can sign up for that on our link tree. That way we will know how many to prepare for the meal-wise. We'd love to have you guys part of that. I would like to take a few minutes and invite Velma Gonzalez up here. We're going to do that next week? Oh, got you that. Forget I just said that. Look forward to that next Sunday. But right after this, we are having a very exciting thing, a baptism for two precious Peruca children, right? Maybe three now. All right. Well, let's get on that. Hey, well, you can you can applaud for that. You can and you can definitely applaud when we go out there and watch that happen. Lamentations three twenty two and twenty three says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you agree? Amen. Go with God and be a blessing. Have a great time.